0: If you're new to the show, welcome. We are so glad you're here. Make sure you check out the other podcasts in our network, the Up and Running podcast and the Illuminate podcast, both great shows. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by prevenex Prevenex is the place I go for my own multivitamins, vitamins for my kids. Their super vites are awesome. Half of my kids eat them like candy and the other half drink them in a smoothie I make with their Neurofi Plus protein powder, which happens to be vegan. For so long, I wanted to find a multivitamin that I knew was sourced from the highest quality ingredients and clinically effective, and that is exactly what Previnex does. If this is something I'm putting into my body every single day, which I am, I want to make sure it's a clean product, and especially if I'm giving it to my kids every single day. Prevenex also has a give back program. They provide nutrition and hope to children all around the world. Every prevenex purchase you make will provide a bottle of vitamins to a child in need. Okay, friends, you all can save 15% off your first order. You will be hooked, no doubt about it. When you go to prevenex.com. use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your order. Today, I'm really excited to be talking with Dwayne Solomon. He just announced his retirement in the sport of running in track and field. He was an 800 meter runner. Dwayne was a four time US champion in the 800. He ran in the 2008, the 2012 Olympic trials. And in the 2012 Olympics in London, he placed fourth in the fastest race ever. (laughs) He literally ran the fastest fourth place finish time ever in that race, a world record was set. One of the greatest races of all time. He set a three-second PR in that race. That's crazy, a three-second PR in the 800. Um, And that PR is 142.82. Holy crap, that's fast. Dwayne ran for Saucony for several years. He was coached by the legendary Johnny Gray. And now he is a retired runner and pursuing a career in police work. He is working towards becoming a corrections officer. So quite the career change. We talk about that a little bit in this episode. He's also the father of three boys and we get to hear how him and his wife met and what their life looks like now. A really fun interview with Dwayne today. All right. And before my conversation with Dwayne, we actually have a really fun and motivating message from one of his former teammates from the 2012 Olympic team, Kadivas Robinson. So here you go.
1: What's up, Dwayne? Kadivas Robinson here. Congratulations on your recent retirement, man, you know. But you know this, major things happen in minor moments, but the truth is, there are no minor moments. Major things happen when we make them happen. I'm always reminded to tell all of my uh, former athletes that, you know, once we stop being world-class athletes, we have to continue to be world-class fathers, world-class sons, world-class husbands, and most of all, world-class human beings keep pushing just like it says once an Olympian always Olympian once world- class always world class
0: all right friends enjoy my conversation with Dwayne Solomon all right well today on the podcast we have Dwayne Solomon on the show welcome to the podcast Dwayne
1: oh uh, yeah well thank you for having me
0: congratulations on your retirement
1: yeah it was you know it was um something I was thinking about uh, you know, for a little bit, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to make that call. But, um, you know, uh, once the Corona hit and they pushed Olympus back, Mm -hmm. I was kind of like, eh, I don't want, you know, I really don't want to go another year. So I decided, you know, this is a good time to do it.
0: Yeah. I feel like so many lives have been changed because of Corona and to go for a whole full like year would be super stressful. Did you just move in the midst of all this?
1: Yeah, yeah. I just moved just a little over a month ago. Um, So we're in Arizona now. So um, just wanted to be a little closer to family and stuff like that. You know, I mean, there was really no need to be in Orlando since I was kind of done training. So, um, you know, decided to come back to the West.
0: Wow. Okay, so you made the announcement. And then did you just get like a flood of interviews? Now, now this is your third podcast that you're probably on.
1: Yeah, this is my third one. So, I mean, I've been getting a lot of, um, you know, people who wanted to do either interviews on a podcast or just interviews. Just, you know, they'll send me questions on the email and I'll send back like that. Or, yes, yeah, so I've been getting a lot of people that want to do interviews. So, like, I really don't know, like, what else I could say because I feel like it's all <laughs> out there now, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
0: well I want to hear more about your family life and things like that I'm always intrigued talking to other parents and I know you're the dad of three um, I also have boys myself so I yeah. thought that was fun to see that um okay so tell us though now that you're retired you're starting the police academy like you're gonna work as a correction officer what's going on with that
1: yeah yeah so I just um um so I just began um the corrections I'm in the academy right now I have about two more no maybe two what we two or three more weeks left of that um, so yeah that's you know kind of something i want to get into um, i didn't really want to get down to the outside with the police right now mm-hmm. with everything going on it's a little scary you know so i figured i would do this um, but yeah you know i think it's a, you know it's a great career and something that i can definitely build up into and see if this is something i want to do long term or maybe um, in a couple of years, maybe once everything cools down, I can go onto the outside.
0: Okay. So did you originally though, before, like what's going on in the world right now in our country right now, did you originally want to be out in the police force in that way?
1: I did. You did. I did. It was either that. Yeah. It was either that, um, the police or be a firefighter. Really? Um, I know I wanted to do something in the law. Yeah. Um, law realm. So, um, I kind of want to dib, you know, dib dab into one of those. And, uh, at the end of the day, I picked corrections.
0: Yeah. Where does that come from?
1: I don't know. Um, I mean, my dad works in corrections, um, down in Georgia. So I was kind of picking his brain a little bit, you know, see how he likes it. He was a Sergeant out there. So, uh, I think it's a great career, you know, um, at, um, at first I was a little worried of like, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy working in a prison, you know, but, um, I, I mean, I think it's a cool job. I mean, to be honest, I think it's awesome.
0: Yeah. It's such a, it's quite the career change, you know, it's yeah. like, it's a very drastic change. Um, and I feel like a lot of times retired professional runners, what I don't even know what they do, but you know, I know actually, okay, this is interesting. I was thinking about this when I was prepping for your interview. One of my first interviews was with another 800 meter runner, pro runner, Molly Ledlow, and she also ran for Saucony. Do you remember Molly? Yeah, I
1: Yeah, I know Molly, yeah. Yeah. You're a really good friend yeah.
0: Yeah, so I'm from Indianapolis, and so I actually went to high school with her husband and knew her that way, but um, I had interviewed her. Like, she was one of my first pros right when I launched this podcast, and she went on to be a nurse. Yeah. Yeah, so.
1: (laughs) No, Molly's really good people, yeah. Yeah, she is.
0: She's so awesome. Um, Well, speaking of that, let's talk about Saucony and running for them.
1: Oh, yeah, they were, I mean man, they were awesome. You know, they were the only, um, company that would take me up. Um, you know, we tried Nike, we tried Adidas, we tried all these other companies and, uh, you know, they just, they were just like, you know, or is it something like you're not good enough, you know, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, Saucony was the only one, like, although it was a small contract, Mm -hmm. it was, you know, I mean, it was gear and it was something. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And, um, You know, they gave me the ultimatum where it was like, you know, you make this real team and, uh, you know, we'll sign you on. And, you know, you can kind of build on from there. But I think what was great was that we were able to make um, a good, I mean, a good contract to where I can, you know, get a lot of bonuses and make money that way. Uh, You know, so the base wasn't, you know, that huge, but the... um, you know all the extras that came with it if i hit the bonuses and stuff like that were just amazing so i think you know based on that it was a it was a you know good contract for you know starting up
0: yeah and then you and, ran for them for so long
1: yeah you know i mean i think we just built like a great relationship and i think that's kind of what you have to do with these companies you have to figure out like you know kind of where um you fit in and gain that relationship and i think just right away we gained a relationship and i think they knew where they wanted to go Um, with things and um, I was happy to be a part of it because when I got on um, I'm not gonna lie like the style wasn't that great you know the jerseys are pretty plain everything was it was really plain you know I was like (laughs) all right I mean it's something but as the years went on you know things just started to turn around and you know um, I started to get you know people were looking at it like man those uniforms are cool those jerseys are awesome those spikes are awesome you know so Like every year it got better and better and better. So I think just for having athletes that had a knack for, um, you know, design and stuff like that, I think they built it around us. Did
0: they give you input?
1: Yeah, they definitely gave me input, especially on, um, spikes and stuff like that. So I was happy to be like a part of that. Um, but yeah, they're just a very loyal, you know, very loyal and, and, and good people that I worked with over, over the years.
0: Yeah. What did they have to say about your retirement?
1: Oh, they, yeah, they, so, um, they posted, they posted, um, was it on my Twitter mm. and they said, congratulations, thank you, you know, for all you've done for us and all that stuff. So, um, like I know over the years they you know, I think when did I, so my last year with them was 2016. And so over those, you know, couple of years, um, everything has changed. Like management has changed and mm-hmm. um, the presidents have changed. So there's a whole lot of different people there. So maybe the people that are there now, you know, probably weren't there when I was there. So, you know, it's hard to say, you know, how their feelings were, but I know the ones that I was with beforehand, I still keep in touch with some of the guys um, that work for, um, they used to work for soccer, you know, when I was with them. So I still keep in touch with those guys still.
0: That's cool. Well, so you said it was kind of hard to find a sponsor. And I was thinking when you made a world champs team as a college student, is that when Mm -hmm. you realized you would probably go pro?
1: Well, So, yeah, so um, that was about the end of my junior year, and uh, I remember my college coach had sat me down and asked me, you know, what do you want to do? You know, do you, you know, do you want to go another year, or do you want to go pro? And I was kind of looking at it Mm -hmm. as a whole, like, looking at competition, like, okay, I made a world team, but, I mean, I'm not that competitive yet, so I... I don't think I'm ready to go pro, you know. So I, I opted into going another year, and a lot of people say, you know, that could have been a bad mistake. You know, you should have took it while you had the chance, you know, mm-hmm. possibly. Um, but yeah, they gave me that option, and I, I was like, I'm not ready, you know. So that definitely was an option to go pro, but I was, I don't think I was ready at all.
0: Wow! And so now you're the third fastest American in the 800 meters. Yeah. And an Olympian. Yeah. Yeah. And over all the years, what was the hardest thing about your career? Like, what was the hardest season or phase?
1: Uh, I want to say, man, it must have been after 08. After 08, when I didn't make the team, um, that was that was tough just because I got so close to it.
0: Yeah, I watched that and, video.
1: Yeah. And then kind of those next two years, it was like up and down. I mean, my, I mean, my career after 08 was so up and down that I was at a point where I just couldn't I couldn't break through. Mm. So I was kind of like, you know, do I still want to do this? Am I good enough to keep doing this? You know, should I like work a job and all this kind of other stuff? So going into um, 2012, uh, I was kind of like, this is going to be the make it or you or the make it or break it season, if I don't make this team, then I probably will stop, you know, because, you know, know, if you don't make the team, then, you know, what else is there to run for pretty much for me? That's how my mindset was, was I'm all about making teams. Yeah. It wasn't about the money, but it's about making teams.
0: And you made the team.
1: Yeah, I made the team. I had to do everything on that day.
0: (laughs) Is that like, do you think that's the career-defining moment for you?
1: Yeah, I think it was. You know, going into uh, 2012, um, I I was still not where I wanted to be at. I'm going into that race, and I wasn't confident. I, I wasn't sure, uh, you know, what I can do. Um, even the race before the trials, I, I was coming down the last hundred, and I tied up, and I was like, if I do this at the trials, <laughs> it's not gonna be good, you know? Mm. And I could not, and I couldn't break the barrier. So I was like, "In order to make this team, I'm gonna have to go 144, and I've never run in my life. So how am I gonna do this? You know? Um, so I think, you know, that race was just off of pure guts and and will, you know."
0: Yeah. So it seems like you like to run in the front. I do. Yeah. What What's up with I that? Do. Just tell us about that method and and how that process works in your brain.
1: Yeah, that's just that's just kinda of how I've always raced. I feel more, you know, comfortable in uh, you know, being in the race dictating my own pace. Um that's that's kind of what I did in high school. Mm. That's how I trained. That's how I trained in college. Everything I did was, you know, like a lot of speed work, but a lot of um, you know, a lot of strength work as well. So I I believed in my, you know, my abilities to lead a race and hold on and win. Mm. So I just felt more comfortable in doing it that way. And so every race I would just do it and I wanted to get to, you know, to a point where I can master it and be able to run the entire 800 meters without getting caught. Mm. And, you know, you have those days where you're going to go all the way through and you're going to be amazing and you, and you have those days where your body just isn't on and, you know, you're not going to be able to hold on all the time. So,
0: yeah, there's something really cool i wanted to say honorable but i don't know if that's the right word but like it's really cool to see the guts of that rather than sitting back and waiting not that that's a wrong way to race you yeah. know a lot of people do race like that they sit back and they wait until they kick but there's something really gutsy about just going and and also if you're dictating the pace you're probably dictating uh, a faster pace than if you kind of sat back with the group. So you're making the race a faster race, right?
1: Exactly. I also want to make an honest race. I kind of take it from like, you, um, I'm a Prefontaine. Mm. you know, he wants to, you know, go in every race and not leave any doubt, not leave anything out there to where you can be like, man, I should have done this better or I should have done that. Or I should have went harder. I always want to go in every race and know that I kind of gave it everything and it's going to make everyone else work too. So, it, you know, if I'm not going to win the race, then the other guy's going to work hard to win that race. Mm. You know, he's not just going to go in there and make it a tactical type of thing. It's going to be a race every time I'm in the race. And that's how I always want to make it.
0: That's so much more exciting for the fans, too, honestly.
1: I believe so. Yeah. And I, think that's, I, and I think that's what made, like, a great rivalry with me and Nick was that we had two contrasting styles. Totally. So it was it was kind of like you know, who was going to win the front runner or the guy from the back. And I think it made for exciting races.
0: Yeah. So speaking of Nick and your other rivalries, what are some things that you learned from guys like him and other guys that you were racing against? I feel like you guys probably, probably learn a lot from each other over the years.
1: Yeah. I mean, I did a lot of, you know, I watched a lot of his videos and races and stuff like that. So I know how he races, and he knows how I race. I think everyone knows how I race, so they expect me Mm. to go out in forty nine and come back again. Um, You know, with Nick, you know, every time I race him, um, I just, I just know he's gonna come. (laughs) (laughs) He's gonna come around that curve, and I know that if I'm if I'm driving and I have the energy to drive, it's gonna be a battle. But I know if I come off that turn and I feel like I'm a little bit. You know, kind of gassing. There's no way I'm gonna hold him off. So it's you know, it's kind of things where you just have to like know when you're on your day and when you're not on your day. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, with Nick, it's always gonna be like a close race with, you know, with him in the race.
0: Is it a friendly rivalry?
1: Yeah, I mean, I believe so. I think, I think a lot of the times, I think the media tries to make it <laughs> like a like a grudge type thing. Uh-huh. But me and, but me and Nick are like very. You know, very, um, I'm very cordial and stuff like uh-huh.
2: that.
1: I, I think there was only a couple of times where, you know, it was like a little bit of dislike. But other than that, I mean, we're pretty cordial. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. I want to hear about the 2012 Olympics where you got fourth place, mm. like three second PR crazy when you're an 800 meter runner, no matter how fast you're running, let alone running 145 mm. to 142. Um, and then to come in fourth place as like the fastest fourth place finish ever right yeah. so tell us how that race played out for you in your head and your heart and your body
1: yeah um so the night before the race i really couldn't sleep i was really nervous and i was trying to i was really trying to like you know do scenarios in my head of how i wanted to race it but i couldn't but i couldn't make one because like, obviously, like, everyone in that race was really good. And I I really didn't, you know, believe that I belonged, mm-hmm. like, to be honest. I was like, you know, do I belong here? I just, made, I just made it by the skin of my teeth, you know, into the final. So I'm like, I mean, these guys are amazing runners. I don't really have a plan. So I'm just going to kind of go in there and just race pretty much, you know, and see how it unfolds. Put myself in a position to where I can be competitive. But – I will you know, but I wasn't like, I'm going to, you know, go, you know, behind the leader or something like that. It was just kind of like, I'm just going to get in the race and I'm going to just get in there and find a spot, <laughs> you know? And then from there, I just kind of, I just kind of gauged how the field was going and um, the pace was pretty quick. I mean, I felt it on the first lap, but I, you know, I tried to keep my composure and just tried to, you know, you know, make moves when I could, you know, Wow. And then from there. Yeah. So it felt pretty, I'm in mean, it. I, I'm going to be honest, for as quick as the race was, it didn't feel as hard as I thought it would feel to run 142.
0: <laughs> yeah. And yeah. what what a breakthrough. Yeah. That's so fast.
1: <laughs> it is fast. I never thought it was possible for me to run a 142. 143, I thought would be possible. 142, I could never picture my, myself running 142.
0: Did you ever run 143.
1: I ran it one time in Monaco. Okay. It was the race. It was the race before the Olympics. Okay. Was when I was like, okay, I think I can probably do some stuff at the Olympics. But even when I got there, I was like, but that was only one time. <laughs> you know, maybe it was a fluke. Yeah. So like, all these things happened. making the team. I'm like, maybe that's a fluke. And then I ran Monaco, and I'm like, maybe that's a fluke. Uh. You know, I I don't know. You know, but I know my, you know, um, the training we were doing was really good. So I knew that I was ready for that type of stuff, but. I also wasn't very confident in my racing style at the time.
0: Everybody seems to love that track at Monaco.
1: Monaco is great.
0: Yeah.
1: It's a magic track.
0: I think it was Brenda Martinez who first told me that that was the place where you want to race because it's so fast. And it was when I first realized different tracks feel faster than other tracks for one reason or another.
1: I think, I think, really, what it is, I don't know if it's really the track. But I think it's the atmosphere. Mm. If you're in an atmosphere that's very pumped up and you just have everything rocking, it's loud crowd and the lights are on. I think I think that's when you know we as athletes, you know, we go out there and we perform. Um, you say the same thing. You know, same thing for Oregon. Mm. Um, the only thing for Oregon is though, I think I think when you're racing Eugene at Hayward, it puts a little bit of like the pressure on because it's so it's such a. Um, high it's i don't know it's just a it's such a a place where you know you know this is where dreams are made this is where dreams can come true or they can be demolished yeah so anytime i race in oregon i'm always nervous and it feels like the olympics there
0: (laughs) what's your favorite track in the united states to run on
1: um i'd have to say iowa to Mm. be honest drake really drake
0: drake relays
1: I don't know why Drake is always nice. I've never actually raced the Drake relays.
0: Oh, really? Okay.
1: But I've never raced the Drake relays. But anytime we had um, USA's, you know, in Iowa, it's always been great to me. I I think anytime I go to Iowa, I run a PR. Oh. I, I ran a PR, 2000. What year did I run? Was it 2010? I think. Okay. I ran I ran a PR, and then when I won USA's in 2013. Uh, I ran really quick in that race and I think there might've been another time, but anytime I run in Des Moines, I know I'm going to run fast. I don't know what it is about that track.
0: I totally wasn't expecting that answer, but I love it. Okay. So let's talk about your coach, Johnny gray. So Mm
2: -hmm.
0: when I listened to you on let's run, when I was prepping for this interview, you said you wanted him to be your coach really bad, but you didn't know how to get a hold of him. And I'm sitting here thinking as I'm listening, okay, well how did you get a hold of him? So but I didn't know but you didn't say in the interview. So now I'm asking you because I want to know how did you get a hold of him?
1: Yeah. I think I can't remember exactly, but I I think what happened was I got it was either his email or his number, but I believe it was his email that I got his email. Okay. And then I emailed him and so I reached out to him through email. And then he told me to call him because mm-hmm. he like you know, he, he emailed me back and told me to call him. And so we kind of talked and we just kind of went over like, you know, we're you know kind of like, what do you want in a coach? Mm-hmm. What are you expecting? You know, when do you want to start? Um, just kind of those type of things. So it was orig- – so the year before I got with Coach Gray, I was actually um, with KD. And – my assumption was when i was with kd was that johnny was going to come out to some of the training okay and that's how, and that's how i thought i was going to meet him
0: oh but, you were setting yourself up okay
1: and, and so what happened was it never happened like that okay and that was the year i also got injured so i was like, i got to make a change so i i was really i was really you know looking for johnny and he reached out and i was so happy i was like i need you to coach me i need, I need to get to this next point and i think you know um Johnny he's like he saw the potential in me and I think that's why he took me on cuz he liked you know the way that I ran he said you know you know I like the way you run you know the front running style
2: mm-hmm. I like
1: that style so you're someone that I can coach and it'd be easy So that's kind of how we got on
0: Was he a front runner back in his day?
1: He was a front runner. He was nothing but a front runner. Really? Yeah. So I think that's why me and him got along so well and we messed so well because we trained under um the same method and um the training, you know, coming from college, you know, to him, it was a notch up, but it was the same but it was the same still, you know.
0: Okay, so when you say a notch up as an 800-meter runner, a world-class 800-meter runner, how many yeah. miles a week did you run on an average like in the middle of a big season?
1: So, I want to say um Let's see. Fall, winter, probably average about 65 plus. That's a lot. It is a lot. Um, and then getting into um the actual track tre- uh, season, I'm to I say like 30, 35 plus, maybe? Like 35, 35. about that, maybe 35 or 40. Okay. I mean, the thing was we did a lot of we did a lot of distance running. Mm-hmm. So um, we'd also do, you know, like two a days as well. So we really like, we added on the mileage, but the mileage wasn't, it wasn't slow. It was a lot of, um, quick stuff, you know? So I think that helped out a lot, uh, with endurance and stuff.
0: Yeah. Hey everybody. I'm going to thank a sponsor for helping make this show possible. And that is HelloFresh. HelloFresh makes my life easier and it can definitely make your life easier too. We have tried so many new fresh recipes through HelloFresh, things that I would never consider or even have thought to make ourselves. Uh, One of my favorite dishes is their Israeli couscous dish. It's so good. And you all can save time and try something a little bit different for dinner too when you try HelloFresh. HelloFresh offers fresh, high quality ingredients every week for a super flavorful experience. Using HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning. You don't even have to think about grocery store trips when it shows up at your door. The ingredients are measured and ready to go and there's a very detailed step-by-step instruction for how to make each recipe. Their service is flexible. You can easily change your delivery days or food preferences and skip a week whenever you want. And I love that they're giving back. HelloFresh has donated over 2.5 million meals to charity in 2019 and this year is stepping up their food donations amid the coronavirus crisis. This is America's number one meal kit. You all can go to hellofresh.com slash 80 another and use the code 80 another to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit hellofresh.com for more details. Again, that's hellofresh.com slash 80 another. Use the code 80 another to get $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. All right, friends, if your feet are looking for some comfort, check out Curex Run Pro Insoles, delivering you sensational comfort, optimized motion, helps reduce injuries, and enhanced stability for greater confidence when you run. All right, so the way you do this is you go to their website, curex.us, and fill out your identity profile. So you get your feet fit. Do you have a high, a medium, a low, or a flat arch? Are you angled out? Are you straight? Are you angled in? And in those steps, you will select which insole is right for you. Curex is rated number one in comfort and foot pressure relief, and they are scientifically proven to reduce foot pressure and increase comfort. They offer a 60-day warranty, even if the product has been cut to fit your shoe. You all can go to curex.us and use the code IHA15 for 15% off your order. So you mentioned your Saucony contract at the beginning and how it wasn't super big and you had a, so you had a part-time job. Yeah. And yeah. So my brain went two places because first you said, Saucony, the style wasn't so great when you started.
1: Mm.
0: And then I remember hearing you say that in another interview that you had a part-time job at Abercrombie. I did. And then when I was stalking your Instagram, I was like, Oh, he's like really stylish. You had your bow tie on for Easter and everything. <laughs> so is that a thing for you? Like, are you just into fashion?
1: I would say I would say more so than I was. Okay. Like now or you know, now I'm a dad, I'm just like I'm always you know, dressed in, in basketball shorts or <laughs> you know, a T shirt or something like that. But yeah, definitely, um you know, when I moved out to Orlando and even like after the Olympics, I was all about the bow ties and the vests and uh-huh. the and the designer jeans and all that stuff. I was definitely yeah, most definitely into that stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Abercrombie is interesting too because it was like something it was like a popular brand back in the day I think I'm just like a year or two older than you but in high school and then it went away I feel like and now it's back marketing to like 30 something moms I feel like do you see that happening
1: (laughs) yeah I mean it's just like Hollister you know all that stuff like um you know my wife she still wears that stuff she still wears Hollister and all that stuff so yeah I don't think it's going anywhere
0: (laughs) it's so funny I'm like oh now they're marketing to the kids who's Parents might have bought them Abercrombie, but now they're adults now and they can buy it for themselves. Yeah. Um, okay. So speaking of your wife and kids, how did you meet your wife?
1: So we actually met. So um, the funny thing is we're from the same, um, the same um, city called Lompoc. So it's a very small city um, in Santa Barbara County. Uh, but the only thing is we didn't, have, or, or or we never met. So I actually, um, what was it on Facebook? I think it was on, Yeah. On the um, Facebook,
2: I love and,
1: it. And I, uh, I messaged her and then I poked her. <laughs> you poked her. <laughs> I poked her, yeah, because you know the poke thing. Oh yeah. A <laughs> little poke thing on there. So. Oh yeah. And then she replied back, and I was like, "Hey, I'm I'm gonna be home for the holidays. Would you like to go see a movie or something?" And, and she said yes. And I went down and we saw a movie. I think I don't even know what was the movie we saw. It was like a cartoon or something. I can't remember. I don't remember the movie. Oh, I think it was Monsters Inc. or something.
2: Okay, that's and cute.
1: I remember not even watching the the. the I just like went to sleep. I, felt so <laughs> I fell asleep in the movie. I didn't even watch. I didn't watch it at all. Oh, no, but no. I think it was a good first date. You know, you fell
0: asleep in the movie theater. <laughs> I fell
1: asleep in the movie. Yeah, and I and I was afraid to put my arm around her.
0: Oh, that's too cute. Um, I don't even know if that is there an option to still poke on Facebook. I wonder.
1: I no, I, I think they took it away.
0: Yeah, okay. I mean. Very seldom did you appreciate getting poked on Facebook. Yeah, Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's usually a creeper poking you. So, apparently, she appreciated your poke. Yeah, she
1: liked it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she, she appreciated it. Yeah, definitely.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay, so you have three boys.
1: I have three boys, yeah. How old are they? Uh, So, my oldest is six. Okay. My middle child is two. And uh, my youngest will be 11 months. Actually, he's 11 months. Is it the 7th? Yeah, today. Oh. No, no, tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, tomorrow. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so how did becoming a dad change your perspective on your running career, if at all?
1: Um, to be honest, it made me more so about like, you know, this isn't about me anymore. Mm. It's more about, um, you know, my kids, my son, uh, you know, um, my firstborn, you know, when he was born, I was still, I was still, you know, very much um, competitive. So it was great for him to be able to, you know, watch my races and be there at my races and stuff like that to see me. Um, I think that was, I, you know, I think that was very cool and awesome. But I found it was like a lot of motivation as well, you know, to kind of be that role model and to, um, you know, just perform at my best every time just so that I could provide, you know.
0: Did your desire to travel and be away, did that change? Or, I mean, you know, you mentioned your desire to perform because you need to make mm-hmm. money to bring home to your family. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And traveling, you know, is included in that. So how did that yeah. perspective change?
1: Yeah, that was part of it. I mean, the I want to say once it got, got to, let me see, after my son was born, I think more and more I started to, I'm um, not like the traveling too much I was I didn't like being away a lot I missed a lot of the milestones mm. um, with him in early stages and um, I was I was just kind of over it like I would be in races I'd be at the hotel mm. and you know my mind would be at home and not on the race so a lot of the times I would go into a race and I'm not all there you know um so it'd just be yeah and just, you know, later on as my career went on, um, I just started to, you know, hate it even more. I'm like, I don't want to be away from home. I just want to be home. And, you know, and that was my mentality for pretty much the remaining of my career.
0: Yeah. It's tough to travel with kids, especially when they're so little too. Yeah. Um, I'm sure your wife, I'm sure your wife wanted you home as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, I felt like, like, it felt like, I was like military or something. Yeah. I've never done military, but it felt like I was, it was like a military dad always is gone. I would be home for a week. I think I missed every Valentine's day. I was never oh. home for Valentine's. I it's, was never home for, yeah, it was rough.
0: Yeah. And it's hard to be the parent home as well, because you just get in over your head with those kids and they're and your kids are so little still. So, um, back to running a little bit. As you moved from new professional runner to seasoned professional runner, I'm sure there were people mm-hmm. ab- like ahead of you in your career that you looked up to. And then as you kind of moved up, there were people that looked up to you. So, what's that mm-hmm. like transitioning into not being a rookie anymore and being the seasoned guy out there that everybody knows?
1: You know, I found it like I thought it was great, you know, knowing that like I made a lot of. Um, friendships on the track like a lot of the guys that I ran with um you know like who were younger than me um, retired before me and I was like one of the last ones left I, you know out there racing with these guys so I like I wanted to take it upon myself to kind of um you know represent for the older guys you know because mm. I you know because i knew nick wasn't there anymore And so i was like okay i'm the last one left mm. you know you know you know see if i can still do this you know and um but you know i think i think as a you know a runner or as an athlete you need someone to look up to you need you need athletes to look up to and you know coming in you know i looked up to you know johnny i looked up to david um david um there you go, david crammenacker um who else was there that i was you know that I watched there was a you know I was really like I was really more so into the sprinters to be honest like I liked like Marion Jones I like Maurice Green Michael Johnson it was those guys who I you know really got me into track um but like Lagat Oh, Lagat was one of them that was probably the main one you know Lagat um I remember his commercial when I was in high school and I would just watch it but he had like a shoe commercial and he <laughs> so that was you know I was one of the guys that I watched El Rouge, as well um you know these guys are all are all guys I look up to. And so I just hope that I make that impact with, you know, with the younger generation, you know, who are, you know, like Donovan's and, and other guys, I hope they can, you know, kind of take, um, you know, some of the things that we've done and just apply it to their own careers.
0: Yeah. You mentioned, uh, Bernard Lagat, and I heard you say that before one of your big races, I can't remember which one now, but Oh, before you made the 2012 Olympic team. Yeah, yeah. And how he was kind of saying, like, you're going to make this team. And it just, like, makes me think about the power of, like, speaking purpose and accomplishments into people before it actually happens because sometimes people just need to hear that.
1: Yeah, it was. It was definitely. I mean, I was going into that race, you know, with a little self-doubt. And I think just that little boost of confidence for him to say, you know, I know you're going to make this, and he's made – pretty much every team that was, you know, you know, ever made. (laughs) So, I mean, for him to, you know, see that in me, I'm like, man, that's crazy. Like I almost wanted to get water ride without, you know, but, but I was so nervous, but you know, for him to um, say that right when I'm, you know, going to the tent, I was like, man, now I really got to perform because he believes in me, you know, you know, someone believes in me.
0: I love that. So that's what I needed. Did you ever think of like being a 400 guy or a 15 guy at any point in your career?
1: Um, I want to say the quarter too much. I mean, um, like the 1500, I definitely, like I thought about it, but I've never really ran it, you know, seriously. I just kind of, I remember, uh, um, at SC in college, I would just run it for the dual meet just to get points.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, but I never really ran the 15 as a like serious race. It would be like, you know, training or I would double, I would do like a 15 and 800 in the same day or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, never really – I think I think I just really got, you know, really comfortable with the eight, and I just, you know, I figured that was my bread and butter.
0: If you had to do one or the other, though, which would it be? If you had to go up or down?
1: Oh, I would go down for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you did say you were inspired
0: sure. by the sprinters.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would definitely go down the quarter for sure.
0: Okay, so in your Instagram post when you announced your retirement, you said that running defined you as a person. So what do you mean by that?
1: Um, I think um, before running – I don't think I had like a purpose. Mm. I don't think I had a purpose in life at all. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, You know, but I think running kind of, um, it opened a lot of doors, a lot of opportunities for me. Um, It kind of showed me, you know, the type of person I am, how strong I can be, uh, you know, mentally and stuff like that. Um, So yeah, running just, I think I just identify, uh, you know, you know, a lot with running. Running kind of defines me, um, you know, to a whole, I think. I mean, it's been, you know, it's been a part of my life, you know, pretty much my whole life. I've always ran. I've always ran my whole life. So that's a, that's all I know.
0: So you can be a really talented runner and a really good runner, but to become next level, word, world class, the level that you've competed at your whole career, like you have to have that extra drive, that extra motivation. Um, who do you think taught you that? And where do you think that came from?
1: Um, I mean, honestly, I think it just came from a mom, you know, Mm -hmm. she was a single parent. Um, so, you know, in high school, I didn't go to, like, I had a curfew. I didn't go out. I didn't drink. So there was no parties, no, none of that. I couldn't have girls even call the house. I was, you know, it was very strict. So, um, I think, you know, you know, you know, just from her, it kind of it kind of built that in me, you know, to, you know, be a hard worker and um, sacrifice and stuff like that. So that's what I kind of did, you know, kind of throughout my career. Uh, I let go. Like I didn't do any drinking. I didn't drink. I didn't really do a lot of, um, you know, you know, like social stuff. I just kind of kept it to where I would go to, like like I would go run. I would train. I would go back home. I would eat. I would sleep and do it all again. That was my life, you know. So I think you have to sacrifice in order to, you know, gain what you want.
0: Do you drink now?
1: I do not drink still. I, I, I don't have, have a taste ever? for it. I would take, so, you know, for celebration, I remember, hmm. I think, I think at the Olympics and after the Olympics, I definitely took some, you know, you know, some celebration drinks,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like uh, some shots. Yeah. I can't do beer, though. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't like beer. I don't have a taste for it. It's
2: an <laughs> I don't like taste. alcohol
1: at all, but yeah, it's just, you know.
0: Wow. I'm about to start a parenting podcast. It sounds like I need to have your mom on the show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: Like what did she do to teach you those things? Because that's honestly, as a parent, you and I, we're not there yet. Our kids are so young, but like, that's kind of a, a fear, like what are my kids going to get into once they're in high school and they're 16, 17 and they can make those decisions for themselves. So, um, what do you think it was about your mom that gave you that kind of like solid ground?
1: Well, I mean, she was very open. I mean, she let me kind of do what I wanted, you know, I mean, she never, you know, kind of pushed me into anything. She was like, you know, kind of try whatever you want. So I, I think I started off in karate. I did it for eight years. Uh did soccer. I did basketball at the Boys and Girls Club. Um, so I just kinda like I did uh like a lot of like I always, you know, I tried to keep busy as much as possible. And I think that's what kind of kept me out of, you know, you know, doing bad things, you know. Um so like I found running because you know we did turkey trots. Mm-hmm. in elementary school and every year I would win and I'd bring a turkey back and I could just and I remember just like the feeling of, of like bringing a turkey home and seeing the smile on my mom's face I was like I like that I want to well, I want to do that every year and so every year I would just keep doing that and doing that and I think I just gained like the liking for winning you mm-hmm. know winning like it felt good you know and then um you know you know, everybody loves, they're like, oh man, you won again. You know, it's just, <laughs> you know, you get the feeling like, man, I'm a winner, you know, and it feels good and you, and you always want that. So, um, yeah, running was always a part of my life, but I think my mom just kind of, you know, you know, she let me choose what I wanted to do. And at, at the end of the day, I, you know, I chose running.
0: Do you, did your siblings run?
1: Uh, my sister does. My okay. sister runs. Yeah, my brother doesn't run, but my sister does.
0: Does she, she run competitively?
1: Uh, for college, she just graduated actually from San Francisco State.
0: Oh, cool! Very yeah. cool. Is she going pro or is she hanging it up?
1: You know, it's hard to say right now. With I mean, it's you know, crazy. with everything going on, because she didn't really get to have her whole season this year.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, I'm. I'm She's a hip. I'm a hip athlete. Okay. But, I think she had aspirations and she would always kind of ask me, you know, you know, you know what I need to do, you know, to go pro and stuff like that. So uh, I'm not sure kind of where she's at um, with her, you know, one, you know, one to keep doing it or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would hope so. You know, I mean, she's really good.
0: Yeah, it's so crazy. So many people that didn't get to finish their seasons. And we talked about this at the start, how you decided you were going to retire because it was going to be a whole nother year until the Olympics. How's that sitting with you right in this moment?
1: Um, to be honest, I'm okay with it, you know, um, if I would have did it kind of early on before, I think, I, I, I think I probably would have had a little bit of regret. like, you know, maybe I had something left still, you know, mm-hmm. um, I always felt like I had something left, but I just feel like I was, I just can never be healthy, you know? So, mm. um, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely, I feel like I've done what I wanted to do in the sport. Like I've, I think I went above and beyond what i I thought I could do, like yeah. i I got to the ultimate goal, which was to make the Olympics, and I did that, you know, and I ran good and I ran fast, so I'm like, you know it may not be a medal that was what I really wanted was oh, to get so a medal, close. but still, I'm still happy with my career, you know,
0: yeah, you have and and I'm sure you've thought about this so much the fourth place and, you know, not getting that medal, but like, how do you eventually come to ease about that and accept that?
1: I you know, I just say it was the greatest race, you know, I mean, everybody ran amazing and I mean, it was a world record race. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a Diamond League race. It wasn't a, it wasn't a one and done type of race. It was, you know, I mean, you have to go through three hard rounds mm-hmm. and You know, you just have to, you know, everyone there, I mean, everyone that's in that race, you know, is the best in the world. So, you know, you can't really be mad at it.
0: Literally a world record was set in that race. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. An iconic
0: race to be a part of, for sure. Okay, so now that you are moving on, looking back and looking forward, what are some things that you would like to see changed in the
1: sport? Um, I guess I would say, uh, you know, for the athletes, mm. uh, more sponsorship, mm. you know, uh, I mean, more opportunities for athletes. You're seeing a lot of these athletes are running unattached. Yep. Um, there's not a lot, there's not a lot of groups. Um, I think there needs to be more of that, but definitely, yeah, um, definitely, uh, more sponsorships and stuff like that. You know, you need more, you can't just be Nike and Adidas. Like it needs to be more, you know, more companies kind of stepping up and helping out and give them more money to these athletes, you know? I mean, I think, I mean, it's a hard sport, you know? I mean, people don't, you know, know the work that that the athletes they put in, day in and day out, like it hurts. Mm. And um, I think we deserve to, you know, be paid more than kind of what we do get paid.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And And I also think they need to promote the sport a little better and a little more, you know? You don't see a lot of, you know, commercials for track, um, and a lot of times, you know, they're charging, you, you know, to watch it, you know, mm. a, or, or why can't it be, you know, like NFL where you can just watch it on TV? You know, why do you have to pay, you know, you know, a hundred bucks like annually just to watch it on a channel that you don't even have.
2: That's
1: so <laughs> uh, I, true. Think it's, I think it's weird and strange.
0: I agree. I get so excited when track is actually on TV and I can just literally watch it on NBC or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Okay. Yeah. I love that answer. And I'm not, now I'm trying to think what else can we do? You know, I host a podcast, but like what else can the fans of the sport do to help that help get it out there more? Because people should be excited. I do think when people watch the Olympics, like when the Olympics are on TV every four years, I do think track and field is one of the sports that non, even non runners do get into. Do you feel that?
1: It is. It is. And it's, I don't know. Like, I find it very annoying when people ask, you know, are you like, are you training for the Olympics again? Mm. It's like, you know, I mean, we do more than, you know, the Olympics, you know, it's just, it's not good. Yeah. There's so much more, you know, we have like a whole bunch of races that we race before the Olympics, you know? So I find it, you know, the outside world, they only think that we do the Olympics and then we rest, for you know, for four years and we wait.
0: Yeah, I'm telling you what, when I started doing this podcast, just the amount that I've learned about world championships and and all the other races, it's no it it doesn't surprise me that people that don't follow the sport only think about the Olympics because you don't hear about those other races unless you're heavily following Let's Run yeah. and you know, all flow track and all these so- media sources. So oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I love that answer. Okay, I noticed you race in sunglasses. Do you always race in sunglasses?
1: I, you know, I love to race in them because I have very sensitive eyes. Okay. So for one, I mean, the sun is very bright on those days, but also when the wind hits my eyes, my eyes water immediately. Mm. So it's like that. It's it's like that wall of, or it's like the wall of protection for my eyes. And it, and I've been racing the glasses since college days, you know, that's just been my My thing, you know, and it, and it, and I took it on to the pro ranks, you know, it's just or it's just like I feel more comfortable with the shades on Yeah, I and I feel a lot faster in them too.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think I would too. What what are the shades that you wear?
1: You're the Oakleys.
0: Okay.
1: I would go with the Oakleys. Yeah, okay. The Oakleys are my go-to.
0: Okay, so we're going to get to end of podcast questions, but I've been thinking about this question. Um, I did like a fun Friday series recently. And so I'm kind of bringing some of those questions into my interviews, my regular interviews. Now, are you into music? I am into music. Okay. So tomorrow you can go to any concert anywhere and COVID does not exist. Who do you mm. see? And where do you go? <sighs>
1: Who do I see? I would really like to see Kid Cudi.
0: Kid Cudi.
1: Kid Cudi. I would, I would like, yes, I would like to see him. And you said where would I want to see him at?
0: Yeah, like what venue?
1: I mean, I wish it would just be down the street, to be honest. <laughs> like in Phoenix. That would be awesome.
0: Is there a good venue in Phoenix?
1: <laughs> um, I mean, you, I mean, you could also, I mean, you can go down to like the basketball stadium, you know, okay. where the Suns play at. Yeah. I would say that, you know.
0: Kid Cudi,
1: Kid Cudi, yeah, I, I love him.
0: like. Is he still making new music? I feel like I haven't heard anything from him in so long.
1: He is. He's doing a lot more of um like collabs. Okay. So I'm waiting for his next album to come out. But yeah, he's definitely out there still.
0: Okay, I'm totally putting him on um like a Pandora station tomorrow. That sounds yeah, like yeah, wonderful. I love Kid Cudi. Ah, oh, that's such a fun answer. I'm so glad I asked it. Okay, um, end of podcast. Are you ready? Yep. What is one thing professionally or personally that you haven't done that you would like to do?
1: Mm, I know it's going to be kind of scary, but I would like to try maybe skydiving. Really? Yes. That's a fear, but I like to get over it though.
0: Would your wife do it?
1: I think she would, but but I don't, like, I don't know if she believes that I would do it. I think she thinks that I wouldn't do it.
0: Okay. So you're both standing there. Who's more likely to actually do it? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I don't know probably I'll probably do it just for the pride okay <laughs> but I'd be scared to death though
0: <laughs> I would be too
1: I'd be scared to death jumping out. yeah it'd be so scary
0: okay what's an accomplishment <laughs> you're most proud of
1: the accomplishment I'm most proud of
2: mm-hmm.
1: mm, I would probably say, I don't even think it has to do anything with running I think you know just being a dad being a father Um, you know, getting married Um, you know me and my wife got baptized together just not too long ago. You really? know, that's something I'm, yeah, that's very special.
0: That's awesome. Oh yeah. Did you guys come to your faith separate from each other before you knew each other? Or did you come to your faith at, together at the same time?
1: It, it was around the same time, you know, uh, like as soon as we moved to Orlando, uh, we found a church home and um, we kind of just loved it from there. And and we kept it going from there. And, and our pastor actually married us and, and baptized us. And so we were all, we were always, on the same, always on the same page mm. on faith.
0: Have you found a church in Phoenix?
1: We haven't found one yet. Okay. We have not found, we haven't, no, not yet.
0: I'm curious what your church's message was with everything going on with Black Lives Matter and just the state mm. of the country.
1: So our pastor is actually, he's biracial. So he was actually like Indian, um Jamaican, so he's mixed with that, and he was very like adamant about his messages and stuff like that. That we all need to get together, um, you know, that the brutality like it needs to stop. And it was pretty much just trying to, you know, kind of get the message that you know this does happen. You know, don't t- turn a blind eye because it happens. You know, and yeah, he's I mean he was like very adamant about it about his message.
0: Yeah, I've been seeing in our city a couple of churches with some Black Lives Matter signs in mm-hmm. front of their churches. I don't know if they're Methodist churches. Um but it feels really good. It feels really good to see the church standing up for that.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean it's very good to see everyone kind of, you know, kind of um, you know, gathering together and, you know, kind of just, you know, being together at this time and um, you know, sharing their views and and everyone's listening, you know, it's a time that everyone can listen and kind of gain that knowledge of, of kind of what's going on and kind of how other people are feeling, you know? Yeah. So I think it's awesome.
0: Yeah. I do too. Okay. Uh, if you could have coffee, tea, or cocktail, we know you're probably not going to choose cocktail because we talked about this alcohol thing <laughs> uh, with someone fun, motivating, or inspiring, who would it be?
1: It'd be tea. tea. I know. It'd be, so it would be tea for sure um hot tea or cold tea hot tea
0: i'm drinking hot tea right now sleepy time tea you know because it's nine here
1: (laughs) yeah english breakfast tea for sure okay um you say who would i like who would i have it with
0: yeah dead or alive that's
1: interesting dead or alive
0: i say fun motivating or inspiring so they can be one all or you know
1: whatever Mm. man i would I don't know. I think I would like to have a team with like Denzel Washington or them. Like Denzel. I think he's so like motivating, inspired. Like I watched um the speech that he gave at one of the um the college. Uh, what was it? Was a talk? He was like motivating him on like you know not to give up and how like he went through his whole spiel of how he didn't make it and how like he flunked out and all this other stuff and you know so, so I think it'd be cool to like pick his brain on just. Like how he gained like, you know, motivation and success like that. I think that would be a, like a cool guy to talk to.
0: He for sure found success. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, he sure did.
0: Well, what's the best, most recent book you've read?
1: So I, I just went down to Sam's Club the other day and I bought um, the Kobe Bryant book. It's oh. um, um, a hardcore cover. So I'm still yet to read it. I need to find a time where I can actually sit down and read it and not be distracted by my kids. I feel you. But yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. So it's a book. It's a book just about his whole life. Um, And it goes, it goes from the beginning all the way into the end to where, you know, I mean to the death. So it's a pretty long book. So I think I'll enjoy it.
0: So who was I listening to? I don't know. But was it, was he writing the book and was it almost done or something before he died? And then did someone else finish it? Or am I totally getting that wrong? Uh,
1: one of the um, teammates. It was one of the uh, one of one the teammates. teammates. I, I think it was uh, Pal Gasol. I want to say. Okay. Was I think he was one of the guys that was finishing the book.
0: So okay, so but did was did Kobe write some of it before he died?
1: He did. Okay. He did. He had, Yeah, he was writing a book. He was writing the book. Like, okay. like about his life. And it was almost done.
0: That's crazy. That's crazy yeah. that it was in the process. I have to read that. Um, I'm so like, you know, when Kobe Bryant passed away, I was, I'm sure you were too. Everybody was just like, you know, I went in like all these deep rabbit holes, just learning so much about his life. I'm curious yeah. as an athlete, what inspired you most about Kobe Bryant?
1: Um, Just his work ethic. You know, I, I really compared him to, you know, to Michael Jordan. Mm. Um, I think. Kobe, when he so right when he came out of high school, like like the first day his jersey came out, I bought it. Mm. I was in, I was in, I was out there in middle school or elementary. I think I was in middle school when the jersey came out, and I, like I already knew he was gonna be great, you know. So I think just his work ethic, you know, he's a hard, he's just a hard worker. Just every game you see him in, he's always. He's out, like, he's just always on, you know? It's one of those guys you can watch and he's just, like, he makes it look easy, you know? Um, yeah, he's like a Jordan to me, you know? Um, Jordan was my idol growing up when I was younger. And I think once Jordan left, like, he was an easy one to go to and say, this is my new idol, you know? Because mm-hmm. he plays just like Jordan. He reminds me of Jordan. I I like this guy.
0: Yeah. Did you watch the Jordan series on TV? I watched the
1: Jordan series, yeah. Yeah, what oh, did you yeah. think? I loved mm-hmm. it. It was awesome. You know, a uh, like couple of the things in um, um, the uh, on the show, like I already knew because I have all the cassettes
2: mm-hmm.
1: of Michael Jordan, so I watch. Um, so I have the cassettes when they won the first championship, um, the second one, the third one. So I've watched all of them. But there was little things in there that I didn't know, like you know the behind the scenes stuff in the locker room. All the other things. So it was cool to kind of be like, "Man, I didn't know that." <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it's, it's kind of crazy, but it makes for a good story.
0: Yeah, and we're talking about the last dance. I'm sure everybody listening knows. My husband yeah. was like, the world stopped when that. You know, like nobody could bother him. It, it was the t. You know, he. Everybody, all the kids had to be in bed. Every, the yeah. house had to be dark and quiet. It was like. The last dance was a big deal here. Um, okay, one more Kobe question. Because I just remember, you know those big moments in in um, pop culture, I guess, is kind of what you would call it, pop culture. Kobe Bryant mm-hmm. dying. I remember where I was when I saw it. Do you remember where you were?
1: Yep. I was doing laundry. I was putting a load in. Mm. And um, I think, I don't know why, I went on my phone and... Um, I saw on, I think it was on Twitter, and someone said, damn Kobe, RIP. Mm. And I'm like, okay, this is a joke. This is, okay, that's not funny. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I got to make sure this is not real. So I went on Google immediately. I'm like, and I typed it, and I typed this name in, and then it came up. And uh, man, I was sad. Like, I tried to hold it in. I was just like, all right, I'm going to do my laundry. And I was trying to go on through the day. I think, like you know, kind of twenty minutes in, I just go in the living room, and then my wife comes in. She's like, "You okay?" I'm like, mm. "Yeah, I'm good. I'm good." You know, and I just, I just have to cry it out. You know, it's a little bit because it was like it was just very heartbreaking and sad. You know,
0: did you just tell her? Sad. Like, did she know when she asked you if you were all right? You had told her.
1: I told her. I told her. Mm. Um, while I was putting the um, um, the clothes in the dryer, and she was like, "Are you serious?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And she was like, Oh, how do you feel? I'm like, I'm, I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just very shocking. And then I, 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 I like, I tried to hide and get away, but she saw me. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> yeah, it was just, Oh my gosh. It was just sad. Yeah. Still.
0: Yeah. I saw I mean, the picture. Today. I saw his picture and I was like, wait a minute, wait, that's Kobe Bryant. No. Is that Kobe Bryant? And I like showed mm. my husband I'm like, that's Kobe Bryant, right? Like, am I seeing this wrong? It's just yeah, it's it's one of those things that you'll you'll never forget. Okay, you can only watch yeah. track and field or basketball for the rest of your life. Which do you watch?
1: I'm track and field. I mean, basketball like I used to be just basketball and I wouldn't watch anything else. You know, now so I probably I probably watch track and field more so.
2: Really? Know, just
1: because Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you have new talent coming up and stuff like that, you know, it's always good to see, you know, what's going to happen. I mean, I feel like I feel like like i mean like a lot of records are gonna be broken
0: who, who are you most excited <laughs> to watch
1: donovan i'm mm. diving brazier he's, yeah he's been he's been looking amazing yeah he's been looking amazing lately so
0: um okay if you could hear anybody on this podcast assuming we can convince you to listen who do you want to hear
1: hear anybody
2: yeah
0: well like, a like
1: anybody anybody it could oh, be runner, anybody okay. but a runner like anybody Okay, okay, I'll be easy. more likely. Um,
0: I'll be more likely to get a runner on. I'm not going to get Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he'll do
1: it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So was it like a past runner, or could it be like a, I mean, a past runner, or has become? I guess runner?
0: it would have to be someone alive because I can't interview someone yeah, yeah. who's not alive.
1: Well, I would say. I I think it would be cool if you interviewed an, um probably like KD. I think KD would would give a good interview. You know, Katie Robinson.
0: Okay, okay.
1: I think he would give you a good interview. That, that guy is, he, he's very knowledgeable.
0: Do you think he'd he's do it? He's very
1: knowledgeable. You think- I think he would. Okay. I definitely think he would. Yeah.
0: Okay. I love it. Okay. Last question. What is your one message to send to the world?
1: My uh, One message to send to the world? Um, you know, just love, just love everyone, you know? Mm. I mean, we have to share this world together. So, you know, just love, just love, you know, peace, unity. I think it to make everyone's life, you know, a lot easier and a lot better, you know, for sure.
0: That's great. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I so appreciate it.
1: Of course. Anytime, anytime.
0: All right, friends. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Dwayne, for coming on the show. It was so fun getting to know you and congratulations on your retirement. All right, everybody. I have a special episode coming out, a little bonus coming out uh, today. Actually, in just a few hours, I'm interviewing Shelby Houlihan and Carissa Schweitzer, I'm so excited to hear all about them running the insanely fast 5K at their inner squad meet with the Bowerman Track Club, Um, sub 1430, breaking Shelby Houlihan's American record. So yeah, I'm pumped to hear from these ladies and just get a little catch up on what's going on in their lives and what the training looked like to break 1430 in a 5K inner squad meet. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you are subscribed to the show so you don't miss that episode because I'm going to drop it here in the next couple days, definitely before um, the regular Friday episode. So that'll be an exciting one to catch. You guys can find me on social media. I'm lindseyhine626 on Instagram, at lindseyhine on Twitter, and I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine on Facebook where we have a group as well. Don't forget to check out the other podcasts in the Sandy Boy Network, the Up and Running Podcast and the Illuminate Podcast. We'd love to have you check out those shows as well. All right, friends, have a great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, I will see you, well, I'll see you before next Friday with this special bonus episode.